All right, folks, how we doing? We're back. Okay. So normally um, I have a co-host, uh, but tonight he's feeling ill. So we're just going to do the normal show that we uh, normally do, and we're going to invite some guests on, and uh, we're going we're gonna to go at this film. So my name is Jonathan. I am from Bombs Away. Bombs Away is a B-movie comedy podcast that uh, just watches the films like we watched tonight, and uh, then we kind of have some fun with it. So, uh, like we always do, we first read off the taglines, and I encourage anybody in the audience to just shout out any jokes or anything that they want to say. Um, it'll catch it, and uh, it'll be a fun time. All right, A lot of audience participation tonight. So, first tagline, the nightmare is about to begin again. And then the other one was, prayers won't save you in the silent part of this night. Ladies and gentlemen, this movie has a budget of $100,000, uh, a gross of 154000 with 10 flashbacks, two flashbacks in a flashback, 21 times naughty is spoken, five actors playing the same character, three scenes of nudity, one man-ass, one death by Jeep, umbrella impalements, two deaths off screen, car battery electrocution, strangulations by car antenna, Strangulations by reel to reel, four gunshot deaths, one car explosion death, one axe decapitation with 13 deaths in total and a 3.5 on IMDb and, sorry, a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. You guys need to get on there and start reviewing it. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's 1987's Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part 2. Guests tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome them to the show. Please welcome first up, documentary filmmaker Mr. Justin Bean. Yeah. Sir, grab a mic, sit anywhere you like. I know, right? Fancy. Yeah. How you doing? Great. So if you like this, buy the disc. Right. And also, just as a quick plug, I think that we still at Shop at Shop Factory have some of the sets with the NECA. Ricky figure left. It's a good looking so, figure. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. if you go to shopfactory.com, you can order that up there or just the standard edition with a ton of these special features and whatnot. Uh, Justin, be before we introduce our other guests, would you like to uh, just give people a little bit of insight on your participation with these films? Sure. I've been, excuse me, a writer for uh, Fangoria, Famous Monsters of Filmland, Scream Magazine out of the UK for many years. And then um, for a short time, I was a vice president over for, for a few years with a company called Trancus International Films. That's the parent company of the Halloween franchise. So I did that for a while and put Halloween back in theaters in 2012 and produced the 
Halloween 4 and 5 Blu-rays, which are the first blues that I ever produced. Then I started doing it for Shout Factory and some other companies. And Shout's really my main home. But I just, I, I produced all of the content on these discs and acquire titles and stuff like that. Excellent. Uh, so next up, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to introduce uh, the people who were directly involved in this film from uh, day one. So uh, first off, please welcome director of Silent Night, Deadly Night, part two, Mr. Lee Harry. <laughs> All right. How are you tonight? I'm very well. Excellent. Uh, we had a blast, didn't we, guys? Yeah, every single time I see this, uh, I, I just, I walk away going, God, I had fun. <laughs> I had so much fun. That's nice You're welcome. Uh, so our, our, our last guest for the night is the star of Silent Night, Deadly Night. Please welcome Mr. Eric Friedman. <laughs> all right. How is everybody? Doing all right? Doing, doing right. well? Feeling energized? Feeling good? Because we got some questions, right, guys? We got <laughs> we got some questions. So first off, um, Eric, I have to say, watching this film again, uh, you are the king of eyebrows in this film. Apparently so. Apparently so. Um, nervous energy, twenty years old. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what to blame it on. Uh, but it is what it is. It is what it is. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so what 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 is your story going going into this film? Like uh what how did you I, I know most of us uh might have heard it during the introduction, but for those listening uh after after the fact at home, what is, what is your story of uh first getting involved in this film? Well, just to after look I saw of the uh, in the post the posting of, of this film are, are looking for uh, casting uh, casting an untitled horror film in Burbank. That's how it started. I don't want to uh, belabor it other than to say that I went up as um, just to see if there was a role available and read for uh, one of the policemen in the, in the film. And <laughs> and uh, said uh, thank you to Lee and Joe. Joe Earl. The other writer and editor, and uh, just asked who's got the lead. And I, I think a gentleman, possibly, I think it was David Hevener, had this thing. They had it locked on David, and uh, and understandably so. When you when you have someone, you have someone. And uh, and but it just turned out that uh, I asked, and it may have been enough. I'm not sure. Someone liked me somewhere on the way, and. That's how it started. Awesome. And and Lee, what what is your experience uh, coming into this film? How did you first get involved? I was working as a editor, sound editor, picture editor for a post house in Burbank, and a friend of the owners uh, had just bought Silent Night, Deadly Night um, from TriStar. It had not done well for TriStar because uh, public outrage at the Santa Claus situation. So they brought it to us and wondered if we could recut the movie, totally recut it, put another title on it, and they could release it as if nothing ever happened. And we watched it a couple times, and we talked about it and said, no, we can't do that, but if you give us a little bit of money, we could shoot 
some scenes and kind of flesh out a different story, make it a flashback type of uh, uh, movie, and that's what they did. So how how difficult was that? Uh, uh, was that was that something you pitched uh, initially? We did, Joe and I, and our other friend Dennis, who worked there. We're all editors working there, and this was just a fun chance for us to do something other than commercials and things like that. So how how difficult would you say is the process of of trying to write a sequel to to something that's already established and and still use the footage and incorporate that into uh, a good chunk of the movie? Well, you're thinking we're thinking as editors, so we come up with. All right, we need a the main character. Okay, that's going to be Ricky. So what's the first thing we want to see with Ricky? Well, let's get him in a situation where he's telling flashbacks, and that would be, okay, he's in this uh, hospital after, you know, all this terrible stuff happened to his brother. And we took it from there. You know, we're watching the movie on a movie Ola, and we stop it, say, okay, here would be a good place to have a scene. Why don't we try something here and... Maybe something that we saw in the movie we knew was coming up in the movie. We could, you know, do some foreshadowing of that with our flashbacks. And, you know, it was, it was a puzzle. It really was a puzzle. Were there any scenes, uh, because I believe I saw one. Was there any scenes in which it was supposed to be a flashback from the first movie, but it was new footage? Because I believe <clears throat> there's one in general. Yes. Uh, there's a sex scene? Yes. Yes. Now, what what was the reasoning behind not using the footage from the first one? Well, we couldn't get the rights. I mean, the cast of the first movie had signed, you know, away their rights when they did that movie. But I guess when you do uh, a nude scene, you have different writers that say that that scene can't be used for marketing or used for, you know, in a sequel specifically. So we had our um, the uh, assistant. At the office, she had a she and her actor boyfriend did that for us uh, in the back room at the production company where we were. And conversely, too, in the, the the theater scene in part two, the movie they're watching is footage of the beginning of the first film because that Santa isn't seen in any of Ricky stuff, right? Outside of the one thing, so right. So, so he was able to cut that in and use it without having to relicense or shoot another thing like that. That's the one they're watching themselves. Yeah. yeah, that's that wildest moment for me. That that meta, just like they're watching the first movie, and Lee's in the back row in that too. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's next to the the annoying guy. That's Lee. Yeah. Well, that's you. Yeah. Oh, that's phenomenal. <laughs> well, just you know, to us saying at some point, one of us said, "Well, what's going to be the movie?" It's got to be watching a movie, and another one of us said, "Why aren't they watching this movie? That's crazy." So it's kind of the mindset we were in when it's we because they've been watching it for forty minutes yeah. already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I do want to say one thing about the script, though, because Lee gave me, and if you watch the documentary, um, the second one, I cut some of it in there. But you look at the script pages, and it would be like setting a scene, dialogue, and it would just say like insert scene. From part one here, like it, and, and, and I scroll through some of that in the documentary where you can actually see where it says to insert. Um, so he was, I mean, it, one thing I will say at the outset here is that while you look at this movie and a lot of people think it's half of one movie and half of another, he puts, they, the team puts so much into this and it's remarkable. And 
I don't know how if you're going to ask questions about storyboarding and things like that, but he did not only he had he had traditional storyboards and photo storyboards, but he went to the locations in advance and he had everything mapped out. I mean, it re- remarkable planning for this thing. I don't and I don't know if that was your editor's mind that made that happen or what, but so much so much happened on so such a short schedule and with so little money. It's a it's a very ambitious film. What points out the danger of doing storyboards beforehand because when you get to the set and you have the producer over your shoulder saying now, 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 but but I have all these nice storyboards and we need to do this and this. And it's dangerous because if you've built the scene up in your mind, in your head, using these ten shots, but yeah. you can only get five of those shots, you know, that's hard for a first-timer yeah. to deal with, especially when you have, you know, 30 people. But as I was cutting that stuff together, and I even do it in the documentary, you were your shots line up with when you could with the storyboards. Like I, I go A, B, like on the where Eric gets shot falls out the window it's literally the exact same it the perspective is even the same so anyway i just for people no, who have yeah. been critical of the film for whatever reasons like you need to re- everyone should really look into this and see how much went into making it i i have a, qu- a follow-up question to that is it were there any scenes that were storyboarded that did not go into completion did not get shot that you guys regret scene wise i would say no a few shots here mm-hmm. and there just because we didn't have time. And sure. If we knew we didn't have time, we would take the shot that we did have time to do and extend it. Okay, instead of cutting here, run over to the door, and that would take the place of the shot. That we so considering the whole Mother Superior, him chasing Mother Superior to the house was at 4 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. pretty much that whole scene. Eric had an idea for a shot, actually, on set. He he had an idea for a shot. Yeah, I did. I did. I did. I had a great. I, well, that, I, I was aware of uh, Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Yeah, and, you know, punching a hole in the door, and you know, here's Johnny, and uh, and I started thinking, am I going to hack through this door, or could we? But since we were renting the house, it turned out I couldn't. But my idea was. Um, Old, these old school doors and houses that just have three pins that hold them in. And I said, let's pull the pins out of the door. And, and, and because I was coming down the hallway on the other side of the door, I said, let me, I, I, I posed this to Lee, and, and, and I said, let me run down the hallway and, and jump on the door, you know, literally leap onto the door and come down on the door like I'm riding a surfboard, come into the room that way. Boom! You know, on top of a door and, instead of hacking through it. And, there were a lot of reasons why, but we were just renting the house for for the day, and they were an elderly couple, and they had worried. They we lived on six 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 Lucifer Lane, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we were so lucky to find that address. Was that real? That wasn't just, okay. I he got me. <laughs> oh, but I'm were, embarrassed. They were kind of following everyone around in in the in the production with like I think she had liquid gold in her hand. She was concerned about the floors and and so. And then you knocked over a bureau. <laughs> yeah, and, and so yeah, they were. I, I think that was when I we're making noise upstairs doing that. And when you come into the yeah, uh, and they the were room. all flustered about it. So there was there was considerations there. And I was just you know, hey, well, why listen to him on that that stupid idea? Let's just get the shot. 
But and and you know we just didn't have time yeah. to experiment. But I still think it'd be a hell of an entry. <laughs> oh yeah, completely different take on yeah, getting I, through a door as a slasher. <laughs> um, so I I do have a question about um, just you, your take on the character, right? So did you did you watch the first film prior to making this one? No, no, no. I. I I knew it was pulled from the theaters. Um, that was that was the extent. I, d- I didn't have a chance to look at it. I, I tried to search it out on my own. At that time, it was literally pulled out of existence. Uh, I'm sure Lee and Joe have a copy of it somewhere, of course. But um, I didn't see it, didn't know of it, didn't know how great Robert did in, in his movie. And... Uh, I I was under the impression we were it was a lighthearted take uh, you know I spun it a different way and I I, I did spin it a different way uh, but all in all I may have said this earlier and I don't want to be redundant but it, Lee did a fantastic job at seaming this together and I, and and for the money and the time and the pressure he was under it was just freaking fabulous and um, I did what I did I. Looking back, I would say, God, that choice, those choices. Could I have left that that strange Caldwell guy for the real the times he needed to be Caldwell? Um, so, yeah, we're hard on ourselves. And I, I can sit there and laugh at it now, and I'm glad that people like it. But I, uh, there was a time, a good amount of time, that I was like, good thing it's dead. And, and um, But, no, it's funny. And people like it, and, we, and long after I'm dead, people are going to like it. And <laughs> Lee did a great job. What What was your first experience watching a final uh, cut? Well, Lee knows this better than I, but there was some a lot of issues with sound on that movie, and I had did done a lot of what they call ADR, and so I was literally called back in to do a lot of uh, redo a lot of the dialogue. And that's not easy. And it's you have to throw your voice right back into his, uh, a movie mouth on the screen. And uh, so that was a full day of that, at least. Um, I never see it, actually seeing it done. I it was a low, so low budget. Seeing it done, it's a great question. But I waited whatever amount of months it was till it was actually showing in theater. And I saw it in some dumpy theater in Culver City. I didn't know it was playing up at uh, what they called Grumman's uh, Chinese. Yeah, the Egyptian. Egyptian. Thank you. And, and, and I saw it in you know, a real seedy part of Culver City. And, uh, and uh, they were, they, they, in that theater, they were just yelling at the screen. They were talking to the movie, like, don't go in there. And, and all that. So I, I was part of that group. But uh, that's when I first saw it. And that's when I, I said, well, it's going to die an evil death. Da, da, da. I, I, I grabbed it poster off the wall uh, leaving the foyer uh, the lobby and it rolled it up and and I said well I've got those ratty shoes that I wore in the psychiatrist scene and, and this poster that's what I've got and I said I, I have something that said I did it and that's how it ended for me and um, and all this time elapsed as time does and <laughs> here we are so. uh, Lee have you, have you seen it with an audience yes Yes, I, I was at the first night at the Egyptian. Oh, sorry, I was at the first night at the Egyptian 
And my wife was there, and we brought some friends of ours. We went to Musso and Frank and had a martini, and we're going to go across the street and see this. And it <laughs> it did not go well. It was uh, not received well. Okay. And and the thing, remember, too, when you work on something, and you guys know this, when you work on something and you're really close to it for a, a long period of time, you... I mean, it's not like you tell yourself lies, but you tell yourself, you psych yourself up every day to work on something, and you find the good things in it, and the things that make you laugh, and the things, oh, geez, that's a great dolly shot. I can't believe we actually got that on this budget. So I still look at it, and I see the shots that we got. Um, when you sit with an audience, I have a hard time with an audience. Until recently, because I know... Back when it first came out, audiences would be, you know, what is this shit? Who are the jerks who made this movie? I mean, there was hate coming at you. But I don't feel that anymore. I feel that it's it was so long ago that people look at it <clears throat> and say, okay, you know, it, it was of its time, you know. So I can watch it easier now than I did before, to answer your question. What about your mom when she saw it, Lee? Well, it wasn't my mother, it was my grandmother. Oh, your grandmother, that's right. That's right. Um, who was in Winchester, Virginia. I'm from Virginia. And she was so proud, and she took her friends from the retirement home. <laughs> oh, my my grandson made a movie. It's about Santa Claus. So, and uh, she went to see it, and that night we got a phone call. <laughs> And she wouldn't talk to me. She talked to my dad, her son, and just, you tell that boy that he's got to wash his mouth out with soap. That is just awful. And uh, seeing naked women up there and blood and axes, and I was so embarrassed. And I just, uh, just your worst nightmare, your grandmother seeing that movie. <laughs> It's a great story. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, oh. um, gentlemen, I, I I asked this last night, and I, and I want to keep going with um, that same kind of theme. Is that like what would both of you your favorite kill in the film? Oh, it has to be the umbrella. I mean, that was just something we, you know, as we sit around and talk about. Oh, what should we do? And that was just something we had couldn't recall ever seeing. I mean, seeing the guy electrocuted and you know decapitations and all that but the umbrella and then it opening was the was the kicker for me i i completely agree that's my favorite scene you know and there's a lot into you know lee was right there remembers every frame of it and every moment as i do um frank novak the recipient of the umbrella, big bull of a man. Right? You know, the kind of guy who can knock you off your feet just by bumping into you. And uh, he was very agile on his feet, too. I mean, he was able to look. He made it look. This is, you know, this is these are really stunts he, he was doing in the sense that he was crouching down on an apple box, and then and then I'm, I'm pushing him up, so to speak, lifting him up and, and making it look like I was, like a superhuman dude. But it was all Frank. He just He just subtly pushed himself up the back of that wall. It just made it look good. And 
and the drain was uh, just an old lead pipe with holes drilled in it, and just a, a weak uh, pressurized water going through it. I mean, it was, you know, like ramshackle scene, so to speak, just really just thrown together, but it all worked. And uh, I ended up looking damn good in it. I was, <laughs> I was happy. <laughs> like, wow, you know, and, um, I thought that'd be a big scene for me, so I was ready for it. Now, where it's a crazy you're 18 in that scene by the way <laughs> that's that's how you narrated i was 18 yeah <laughs> strapping <laughs> and that scene was gorier than what ended up they actually shot with some groove no i had a had a camera we had the fake body and i had a camera on the other side of the body and we had a shot of the umbrella coming right at camera with a piece of you know intestine on it and the MPAA had me take that out. So. And Chris Biggs said that that intestine was real. He's like, well, you just can't beat the real stuff. So he just goes to a butcher shop and he's like, give me a bucket of intestines. And they're like, all right, Chris, we'll get you, we'll hook you up again. So yeah, I wish that remained. I wish that footage was remaining. Yeah, me too. Well, it may be, it may be in that tape. We looked at, I, I looked at that though. Yeah. We scanned that. It's not in there. No, it's too bad. No, I had um, the one thing I did do uh, back when you asked uh, when you first see the movie. I, I I had the foresight that I said to Joe Earl, uh, Lee's partner. I said, "Hey, is there any way I can get a copy of this?" Well, I was always into getting copies. We wanted videotape stuff for our reels, and, and he said, "Go get these Scotch three quarter tapes. Go get two of them." And back then, you know, I'm busted. It's like a hundred dollars for these fancy blank tapes to tape the movie and he said bring it back to me and I'll put it on this and so and so and I'll dupe it for you and that's what I, I digged out and I dug it out after uh, 30 years and I handed it over to Lee and I said hey look see what this is if this is there's any more in this than, than we know and we looked at it and there wasn't it was it's it's just the final edit of the film yeah it's the final cut so oh. still something out there man right we need to assemble the ultimate cut <laughs> So um, I I do have a, a question about um, just uh, there's so much physicality in this film for you, Eric, and it looks like uh, everybody's just having so much fun, and you can tell you can tell by the script, um, just the the funny kind of meta. Like you mentioned, the rain, like you you killed somebody with an umbrella, then it rains, you know. Like there's there's a part there's a line in the film where uh, you go. Well, I guess we're just jerking off here, right? And it's like, yeah, because we're still watching the other movie, but we'll get to the the news the footage in a second. Like, there's some meta lines in here that are just that you can tell that everybody is having so much fun from start to finish. Except except for Doctor Bloom. No, Jim, <laughs> yeah, Jim was doesn't. not having much fun. <laughs> oh, as a, 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 on set. Well, he was he was a real pro, so he didn't really, you know, play very much and uh he hit his mark all the time which you know for me i was all about the shots and the close-ups and you know hitting the marks and he was very good so were you you were good with that too but he was very serious took the whole thing very seriously i think it adds like uh you know something to that that scene to the character you can't have two people who are chewing the scenery yep. and you know like uh so one is doing exactly you know what you should do in that role and he's the very calm collected exactly that you don't scare me kind of attitude so like 
I think that worked in your advantage. Absolutely. Uh, uh, we've been talking so long, but I'm sure other people have some questions. Uh, anything out there? Yes. I, 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 20, I'm going to be 21. I don't, I forgot the month was shot. 20. It was early January, December. It was holidays. No, it's okay. Um, yeah. Young strapping man. No one said garbage day. You guys don't have questions about garbage day. (laughs) I actually put, I took a picture of that part of the script where they had originally written Garbage Day because I thought because there's a point in the documentary where we talk about what that became because it's really like it's a zeitgeist kind of a thing in a way and a lot of people know that from the like know the film from that that led them there but I was when I was flipping through the script I was actually sitting at a coffee house in South Pasadena right next to Meyer's house from the original Halloween I don't know I, I always used to write there and I flipped to that page and I was so excited to see it because I'm like, this is it. This is the moment of inception for Garbage Day, and I put it in the documentary. But like that, ex- I w- that experience. And when you first found out about all this stuff, your buddy led you online and was like, "Hey, check this out." And then, wait a minute, what? This is a thing. T- t- tell the Garbage Day story and like well, wh- how you found out this was what it is. And this is this is something that Lee should be asked as well. Is what was the actual intention of what? What I, I would love to ask. What was your plans in your head for Garbage Day in the sense of how delivery and clearly it wasn't what I did, but rather <laughs> something more in a John Wayne or Eastwood style of Garbage Day, but um, how I found out. Well, look, I didn't know anything about this movie in, in a brief ride, meaning I didn't know anything about Garbage Day or the six million hits or whatever it is, nine million hits, whatever it is now. Um, I was back east. I was, I was, Getting a car back up and uh, up on the road um, to bring back to to uh, Los Angeles. And long story short, um, a buddy of mine who had prior said to me, "Hey Eric, you got to look at this website, Finding Freeman, da da da." And I blew him off months earlier. And um, he said, "No, no, you got to look at this. Gotta, it's it's really big. It's something." And, and and I said, "Okay." And I went and looked, and he showed me. This, that, and the other, and in Garbage Day, there's the one particular video, uh, YouTube's like six million hits at the time, and I, I was like, you know, wow, <laughs> and uh, I couldn't believe it either. But and then of course you read. For me, I knew it wasn't my best work, but I, I drifted into things that pe- negative comment, positive comment, negative comment. So I was like, oh, I want that. Um, never, never read the comments. But yeah, because it can kill you. And and but I guess it, Joe and Lee had idea of a character they were building for this. It is it's kind of a good avenue to go down. And I know it wasn't what I did. And I know it wasn't. But and I kept thinking in my head, does this? Do I? Should I be subtle here? We didn't have the luxury of many takes. We didn't have. Lee again was working. Nine jobs in this as director, it was he was everything, and we didn't have a lot of um, discourse between us. We just we didn't talk. We got the shot, we moved on. I knew it was a one shot take. And when I later worked for David Dakota, it was the same thing. Get your shit together, kid, because you're on your own. Do your job, and and um, 
I've got to direct this thing. I don't have time to tell you what I want or whatever. And and um, just give it to me. And so I did what I did, but I know that there was a, I know there was a better idea on this. <laughs> and, uh, and Lee knows. And Joe, um, Joe was frequently not liking what I was doing on the set for various reasons. Because he, he did like David Hevner, the other man that had him. So he, was, he would have been too intense. He's done a bunch of, I think, some of these movies that are in here, David Hevner. And he was very intense. And it wouldn't have been the same. Eric, this movie, you're the engine in this movie. Yeah. Like, it, it, I cannot, and I've had these discussions, there's no one else on this planet that could have done this. And, <laughs> and that, no, but that, that would have resulted in it, Wes being here tonight. That being there, a doll of you existing, this is because of you. So, I, I, it always hurts a little bit to hear you second guess yourself with it. Well, I, I, I get how that feels for you, but man, I mean, like, no, I thank you. Lee. I think, no, you guys have to realize <laughs> nowadays you have access to all of your work and all of your memories. It's in your phone. It's in half a dozen places. When this movie came out and disappeared, that was it. You know, as far as we were concerned, all right, thank goodness that's over. We don't have to read those bad reviews and at some point all of a sudden this garbage day meme started popping up and like you said you look at the hits are, are you kidding are you kidding and it just kept getting bigger and bigger then we found the finding freeman site and then you came back into the picture i mean i never thought in a million years that anyone would be watching this movie all these years later and much less enjoying it <laughs> but so so what is i mean what eric was talking about is he's he's like you guys didn't write this with what he did in mind how do you feel about that like how would you respond to that to him here well i'll tell you it's both joe and i at the time we wrote this i told you this story we were both reading the stand stephen king's the stand and one thing you know i love stephen king and he writes the best dialogue villain dialogue that in my opinion no one has ever been able to say it on screen and make it believable except i think jeffrey dean morgan in walking dead is the closest to a stephen king psychopath villain believable villain but that's that's what garbage day was it was just a you know Kind of a non sequitur. Here's a guy taking out his garbage. It must be garbage day. Blam. And that's just something that Lloyd, who's in the stand, or Poke, and his partner in the stand, there's a scene in a uh, convenience store where they're just shooting people at random and spouting off these things. Oh, cereal time. Blam. And shoot somebody. <laughs> and it, it's horror, you know. So that's kind of why that whole shootout scene is there anyway. It's just. That was horror to us. You know, we've already had the heads coming off from the first movie. This is our horror, you know, which unfortunately is, you know, more prevalent now, horror-wise. But uh, anyway, it was, not to sound too highfalutin, but it was a homage to Stephen King, those kind of lines for us. Was there was there ever a choice or, or, or a thought or a discussion uh, to put Ricky in Santa costume for the garbage day massacre. No, no. Okay. 
No, because that was when he snapped. You know, right. the whole thing with Chip and uh, and uh, uh, can't I remember Liz's character? Jennifer. You know, that was that was the moment he snapped and remembered Mother Superior and the punish and all that stuff. And just for him to do it in his street clothes seemed even more horrifying. I, I want to talk about the the final car stunt yeah. uh, because, uh, because there's a shot that seems like it was extremely dangerous to pull off. And um, I was wondering if you could get a little more insight on how that day and that shot like kind of went down. Because, I mean, how close was it, or was it just a camera trick? No, it was, it was this far from it. It was, he had practiced that over in the Rose Bowl parking lot, as I recall, a couple of different times. Not the car falling over, but, you know, his buddy going up on two wheels and going right past him. And we waited until the end of the day. That was the last shot of the day. The sun was going down. Almost had lost the sun. And we did the stunt and almost killed Spiro. Spiro Rosados, who was our stunt coordinator and the guy who did that and fell down the stairs and did all that stuff, he was just second unit director on both Avengers movies. So he's a really stunt coordinator for a long time. Now second unit director, but yeah, it was. It could have gone horribly wrong. And Eric, you were close to it too. You were watching yeah, it. From yeah, I, I, I was. We both had the sweaters. Those sweaters were picked up at the Kmart blue light bin, five dollars each. And he had one of them on, and I was right. I was. I was out of danger, of course, but I was watching, and, and it was that narrow. It seemed like two inches. And he he like moves his hips, sways his body out of the way like a cat. So the, that was it. Was cool, <laughs> you know, um, but it was close. Yeah. Anyone else? Was there like supposed to be something more with Mother Superior with the face stuff, or was it just like a stylistic choice? Uh, Lillian Chauvin, who played Mother Superior in the first movie, did not want to do it again. Uh, actually, I think she might have wanted to do it again, but she wanted wanted too much money. So we thought we can't just put another person in there, even though we probably could have. So we put another person in there and messed up her face, you know, because no one would be able to tell the difference that way. And she's in a wheelchair, so you're like, well, what happened to her? Well, I don't know. Maybe she yeah, fell off a skateboard. Yeah, something major happened to her. Something, yeah, there. something bad. It That's bad. the story we need to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, have... Have any of you been in contact with um, any of the other people that have played your roles, uh, I, such as uh, Bill Mosley played, you carried on your character in Silent Night Part Three? Uh, have you have you seen that role and what they did with it after that? Yeah, I, I not so recently did I see his movie. They showed it as a double feature uh, last year uh, down the road, at Tarantino's uh, New Beverly. Uh, and I was forewarned. I mean, you know, see, people do not like what he did. And I have met him at a convention and we got, you know, I introduced myself. And so we have that in common. But and he's a fantastic actor. I mean, what he does is really, you know, people love him. So, and he even admitted, I don't know what the hell that was. That was Monty Hellman, um, was directing that. So, and Monty wanted to go as far away from two as possible. And, and perhaps he knows more on that. Um, 
But uh, yeah, no, I have in Justin who did the Blu-ray on this and, and did the Blu-ray for for Robert uh, Wilson's movie, Part One. Um, I had uh, had all the actors he's interviewed in the Blu-ray, and I, so I did get to meet some of the others and uh, my younger version of myself, and I didn't get to meet Liz, but um, you know, I, I met uh, you know Kenny McCabe and a few others and. They're all the same people. They're just uh, they were real happy to do the work back then, and they were they're still the same high spirited people that they were then. So, not no nobody's jaded or sad about it or like oh, uh, even Frank Novak, the big guy from the Umbrella scene, uh, just a, I used to see Frank a lot in auditions afterwards. I drive around and I'd, he'd always be the my father or my big brother in auditions, and so and he just he kept at it. He shows up in Law and Order. Yeah. Uh, any anything else, sir? So I saw you wearing a pretty, you know, cool leather jacket. Is that the same jacket from the movie when you're on a motorcycle? Uh, no. What happened to that? Uh, uh, same style, same kind of thing. And you saw? Did you sell the shoes or you give them to somebody? No, it was funny about the shoes because I uh, I had that 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 poster in the closet for all those years. Mm-hmm rolled up and which you kept and then right? one you day still I looked at it it's funny because I never I, I, do I have that still do I not have it I was fortunate enough to be in the same place for so long I could just rolled up in the dark but the shoes which I would see almost every day mm. and I finally just said why the hell do I have these and, and <laughs> I just you know sometimes you just throw things out when you don't know why you're throwing things out and yeah. they, they went we do that in life, and I had done that. And, you know what? What the hell? It was all Kmart, whatever. <laughs> Fifty dollar budget we had. I remember that for those sweaters and shoes, and I had my own jeans, and that's all we needed. So. <laughs> when we did the disc, Eric and I had the, a lot of discussion beforehand, and he came up. He has a, a script that I'm sure you can happy to talk about as a sequel to this, actually. But we wanted to tease that. And so Eric came up with the idea for a, a little teaser, a new short about Ricky. And so we actually shot there. There's there's actually another Silent Night, Deadly Night movie. It's it's a short that we did. It's a five minute thing on this that Eric wrote front to back. And when it came time to shoot it, I I was obsessed with finding the right shoes and the right shirt and all that stuff. So he walks in and uh, I'm like, oh yeah, go get dressed in this room. And he walks out and there is. Ricky in the the right shoes, the right shirt, and he's back and he just, you know, we shot that thing and he just clicked into that character again all these years later and it was really remarkable to to see and be a part of. I enjoyed that. Sorry, not to go back to the garbage day thing, but for me that was like huge. I'm going to say like 13 years ago probably school. Did you guys what was right around right before finding freeman became a thing and i can't remember who showed it to me uh a friend at work because every now and then someone will say did you do that movie silent night deadly night well have you seen that thing online and back at the time, no. What thing online? What are you talking about? 
you know, this movie was dead and buried, never to be seen again, and all of a sudden, I, you, you couldn't get away from it. I mean, they have musical versions of it. They have, uh, yes, they have, right, game versions of it. It's, it's amazing. People are clever. No, I, 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 I don't know if I addressed that, but I, for me, it was five years ago. I found out. So I'm, I'm late, late to the game. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, surprising. I was glad to see, you know, in a way, it's nice. I mean, this, it comes back and, and people enjoy it. And, um, and it's, in, in, in Robert's movies back in full force. People love that. And it, it, there's, there's two camps. There's this camp that was Robert's movie and quite a few in, in popularity, way more than, than, than ours. And then, and there's uh, my camp. And then there's the camp that loves, they love both those movies. And, and, uh, so overall, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm humbled by it, and, and, and um, I'm glad people like it. It's still hard. You can ask any actor. They don't look at their own dailies. They generally don't want to see what they're doing to move on with, with their careers and stuff. And, uh, so it's still hard to look at it, of course, because it's me. And, like, oh, who's that? And, uh, but it's, it, uh, and, you know, for me, I again, I... Had I changed anything, or now I say, well, I'd like to change this or that, it wouldn't, we wouldn't be here, it wouldn't be. And so, let's leave it be and let people laugh or cry or say, oh my God, you know, what'd you do there? Well, whatever they want to say. So, that's fine. Anyone else? Sure, please. I think it was basically be threatening, be an orderly. You know that this guy, you know, this guy's been here for a while and you know his tricks. You know he's surly. You know he, uh, you know, messes with your mind. So that's, that's pretty much it. And I think he did a nice job with that. But let him have his smoke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We all smoked back then. Yeah, every, every, just to say on that, um, many, many, many people have commented on, on his scene, and it's very good. And shaking of his finger, like, you know, don't get out of control, up, put it down, and something like that, you know. And so it's cool. Every, people always laugh when they see that. And so it's a good question. It's never been asked, but, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know the name of the actor. I just know he, did a good little piece of work there. And, and same with Randy Post. Uh, Randy was the loudmouth in the theater. Friend of mine from, uh, um, we did some work prior. We did a, a, a Monsters episode with Ralph Bellamy, um, for Twilight Zone. And he's a good friend of mine. And, um, and I introduced him to you, uh, Lee and, 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 and Lawrence and I, uh, Applebaum and I, and I said, well, you know, this Randy, can, is there a job for him? And, and boom. And so I got him in on that. I have not talked to him since that day on the set. <laughs> Lawrence County, I think he's a police officer or something. Uh, yeah. No, he wasn't at all. He's like, Eric, what, what happened there? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, but no, he, was, uh, he did a great job. He, again, he was unnatural. He had never done anything to that degree at all. I don't even think he's ever had di- dialogue in a film or anything. He got paid 75 bucks. 
I mean, he's so poor. Yeah, you got paid. It, it, yeah, you know that was a big deal because I had gone to bat to went up to Larry and said, "Larry, take it out of my pay, pay him. He's broke. He needs some money. You got paid seventy five bucks for that day for that piece of work and and drove home. And so, um, he's out there, Randy. Thank you. And um, but that's a little side story. So I don't know what it was because he did a good piece of work, and then I haven't talked to him in thirty years. But I didn't mean to take any time other than there's these little pieces of work in there that were very good. Liz was excellent, Liz Caton. And um, so it's worth mentioning. Randy. Randy Boffman, who played the uh, would be rapist. I mean, he looks like a young Kevin Costner at yeah. the time. And it's a despicable character, but I thought he did a really good job with it. You had a question? So, first of all, I'm sitting with the whole stand see like there they took the beard off. I remember you guys were saying yesterday that it was just because he's so such a handsome man. Um this what was the choice for losing the beard and the hair? So the question was what was the choice for losing the beard and hair on uh this one compared to the first movie? I seem to recall that it you know we had the phone booth scene uh with the dead Santa and I think I think our thinking was to leave the beard on him so you were positive that that was a Santa Claus. That's where he got the costume from. Exactly. And I don't think we ever talk about the beard after that. No, no. And the, and the director of photography, Harvey Jenkins, was the Santa. Mm-hmm. And left him at the phone booth. Real time. Real cool. Great, Great guy. guy. And, uh, no, and, you know, uh, I think that they made me look a lot better looking than I ever was, but, uh, I, I, and I like that scene coming in that house and blasting down that door and it was subtle. Well, it was more subtle than anything else I did, so I like it. Um, but yeah, no, there was a, there was a lot of, and I forgot his name, the actor that played the younger version of me with the Jeep rolling over the body and, oh, it's Daryl. Daryl Gilbo. And Daryl does a lot of voice work. Like he's a huge voice in the anime world, and so he does a lot of cartoon voices and things. Yeah. Anyone else before we uh, finish up? Okay, excellent. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, there's a couple things that we do uh, to finish uh, the show up for Bombs Away. Uh, one is that we give each film that we do on the show here a rating, and it's based upon what we call the Jaws scale. So a film is given a rating between Jaws all the way to Jaws the Revenge uh, because, as we know, that series kind of trickled down as as the sequels went on. Um, so one would say, like, oh, you know, you, you're being kind because you guys are right present. But I, I must say that this film for me is definitely just a Jaws. Why? Because it gives you not one movie but two. You get two for the bang for your buck, you know, and and there's something so uniquely fun and and just just exciting about this movie. You're just watching it. And you're like you're going through and uh, whether it's flashbacks or whether it's real time, the whole time you're just like this guy is wild, and so is this movie. And so for me, it's Jaws. Absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you. I would have been happy with Jaws 3D. <laughs> Jaws 3D. <laughs> That's very nice of you. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you all for coming. 
really means a lot. Absolutely. Yes. Thank, thank, thank you. Um, so, so I did not get a chance to mention this in the, in the last, uh, thing that we did last night, but, uh, we're sitting here at the retro release pop up and I just want to thank, you know, retro release video and tapes from the crypt and, uh, just everybody who's been able to put this together this weekend. Uh, what an amazing, uh, just fun, fantastic, creative time that we've all had here the past weekend. So, uh, thank you. Thank you to everybody out there. Uh, before we finish up, uh, something that we do like to do is we try to find like 10 star reviews or five star reviews on Amazon. And, um, sometimes they get really wild and, uh, I, I like to find ones that they try to compare a film to films that don't quite need any comparison so uh this is a, a segment we call give me five this one's written by haddonfield jason so we know who what and what he likes <laughs> right uh titled lay off the sauce he says silent night deadly night is the funniest movie ever made it is so funny and full of wall-to-wall laughs it is sort of like the recent comedic masterpiece cop out with bruce willis <laughs> Making a new best friend in Tracy Morgan is not as good in comedic value as, say, Kevin Klein in Dave, (laughs) (laughs) which which chronicled the story of the greatest president who ever lived. My favorite character is Ricky, who decides it would be fun to go on a kill rampage through his neighborhood. The best moment of the film is where Ricky yells garbage day to an unsuspecting neighbor before shooting him. This is thorough. Yeah. (laughs) Eric Freeman is probably the best actor ever. He almost, he's almost as good as Daniel Day Lewis in the classic film Gangs of New York and There Will Be Blood. I love all the grisly little scenes. Ricky is a comedic god. I feel like I'm at Knott's Berry Farm of Laughter. <laughs> Garbage day. Ten stars. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up to our special guest tonight. I want to wish Justin a very happy birthday, sir. Oh, thank you. Oh, uh, you're thank very you. welcome. Mr. Lee Harry and Mr. Eric Freeman. Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we, we have been bombs away. Thank you. Enjoy your night. And we'll see you back here tomorrow for Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. Thank you. Have a good night. been a production of Big Bulb Entertainment, executive produced by Jonathan Young. For more media and information, visit us at www.bigbulbentertainment.com. Big Bulb, what's your bright idea? <laughs> <laughs>